seated. Please be seated. And as you're seated, turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. Today we'll be looking at verses 8 through 13. Genesis 3, 8 through 13. I hope you're well rested, that you just love that extra hour of sleep that you had today. I, I hope that you were all were able to enjoy it and you didn't forget to set your alarm. But if you did, you get it tomorrow. That's, that's the way I think about it. You'll get it tomorrow. So I feel well rested, so I'm, I'm glad. So maybe we'll go extra long here. But before we get started, you know, I just, you know, just by way of introduction to this sermon, you know, I want you to think of, of, of your most embarrassing moment. I don't know if you ever asked that question uh, when you go to a small group or to introduce yourself or something. You know, that, that time that you wanted just to, to slink away and to hide. Now, we're not going to ask you to share it today, much to your relief, maybe. Um, but, you know, you can think about maybe what that was. Maybe it was a time that you got on the wrong school bus, or you entered the wrong room at the wrong time. Maybe it was the time that you went to school and the kids made fun of you because of the way you were dressed. Or maybe it's a time that your trusted friend revealed something that was supposed to be a secret between just you and them. Maybe it was the time that you worked so hard on a project and yet your boss dismissed it as irrelevant. Or maybe it was that time that you entrusted yourself vulnerably to a friend and they took advantage of it. Maybe it was the day you had to acknowledge a mistake that you made in front of your, your spouse. Well, those, those are a little bit heavier than embarrassing moments, right? You know, I mean, those are ones that, yeah, they have that embarrassment factor, but they really have that embarrassment factor that really goes almost to the shame level. You know, that's what I want to look at today as we look at Genesis 3, verses 8 through 13, that, that idea of shame. It's like that embarrassing moment that you have, which is multiplied by 10, and you wanted to hide. Uh, during our last uh, time that we were together, we saw Adam and Eve have them in the garden, and they had just eaten from the forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we saw last week in verses 1 through 7, Genesis 1, 3, 1 through 7, how they changed in that eating the fruit, and after that. We saw how they made loincloths for themselves out of fig leaves. They were no longer comfortable being vulnerable as they were. It was a change into the way they understood themselves. We can look back to Genesis 2.25 and, and to see what changed, because in their creation, we see that they were created naked and not ashamed. But if you look at Genesis 3.7, we saw last week that they ate it. And they stood before God, and they stood before other, and now all of a sudden, they wanted to hide. Before this, they could stand before God and before each other, knowing that there was absolutely nothing wrong with them, there was nothing they needed to hide, there was nothing that left them at risk of embarrassment from the other person, their conscience was clear, they were able to live above board, they were able to live vulnerable and feel safe. But in today's passage, we see them hide and hide from God. There are good ways and bad ways to deal with sin, guilt, and shame. And today what we want to do is to look at Adam and Eve and how they dealt with those three things, with their sin, with their guilt, and with their shame. And what we see and what they did is they chose a way that we often also frequently choose, to hide from it, 
to pass the buck to someone else, to not take responsibility for their decisions. But we also see something else, and we'll catch little glimpses of it as we read through an otherwise difficult story, but we see glimpses of God's incredible grace. God's incredible grace that reaches out even when we're at our worst. And it's a call for us to enter into God's loving grace with honesty, to come before God with honesty, with him, and then with honesty to ourselves even. So let's look at this uh, chance. We have a chance to look at the need to be honest about our sin, about our guilt. We're going to do it using Genesis 3, verses 8 through 13. Would you please stand for the, the reading of God's word this morning? Genesis 3, 8 through 13. This is God's word. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is the word of God. The flowers fade, the grass withers, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you uh, please pray? Please be seated and pray with me as you're seated. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this word, this word which diagnoses um, and points to so much of what we feel in this life, but God, a, a, a feeling that we feel in this life is a result of decisions that we've made. And so, God, we know when it comes to sin and guilt and shame, God, that we need to have a worldview which reflects your view. God, that we need your comfort and your grace. We need your help. We need, Father, to know where we need to repent, where we need to, to turn back to Christ. God, we, we know where we need to see our union with Christ as something strong to forgive. And so, Father, as we work through this passage today, would you reveal all those things to us? We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's look at sin, guilt, and shame, and the grace of our God, starting with verse number eight, which is our first point, sin, guilt, shame, and the desire to hide. All right, so Adam and Eve, they have sinned, and we are told that after they eat of the tree, of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, that they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. We see this in verse 7. The eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So for the first time in their lives, uh, they know something. They know guilt, and the first time in their lives, they also feel shame. Now, it's helpful for us to distinguish between sin, guilt, and shame. You know, at least to get it from a, a biblical perspective, just to know what we're talking about, some vocabulary here. Now, sin, generally speaking, is an action. And we see this with them, that it was an action of eating the fruits, eating that tree, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They weren't supposed to do it, and they did it. That was where their sin was, their first transgression against God. Guilt follows on that sin. What is guilt? You know, but guilt is that verdict. Guilt is that standing. Guilt is that stamp that you are now transgressors. There is a law that has been broken and renders you guilty. So there's sin, this action. Guilt is this verdict. And then you see shame. And shame is a, a feeling. 
See, there, there's the sense of a feeling that there's something, they know there's something wrong with them. That they had violated God's law, they had violated themselves, and that they were unsafe. It's helpful to distinguish between these things because there can be a bit of a sequence, right? Guilt comes from sin, and shame happens when we believe that we are guilty. Biblically, we cannot deal with the issues of shame without also dealing with the issues of sin and guilt, whether it's in our, our lives or whether it's in the world around us. Now, before they ate of the tree, Adam and Eve had no, no shame. There was nothing for them to be ashamed of. They were carefree. They were able to be vulnerable, and they could trust each other. But now they saw a problem in themselves and a problem with each other. It was, it was as if they knew that they were under the gaze of God. Latin, sometimes we say that we live quorum Deo, before the face of God. And they could not stand to be exposed in the way that they were. So the best thing they could do was to put together fig leaves to cover themselves. And then in verse 8... God comes into the garden at the end of the day. And look what they do. Verse 8 says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Apparently, God visiting was a regular occurrence for them. It was a bit of a habit. And uh, that was an expression of their regular fellowship that God had uh, together with his creation. There was this face-to-face -face relationship. It was built on mutual joy. It was built on good communion. It was built on uh, God's provision and communication. Revelation 22.4, describing heaven, it describes heaven as seeing God's face. But in verse 8, they don't see God, right? But they do hear him. In fact, they heard him and they didn't want to see him. Again, it's to show something is different in them, something flawed. They felt the need of hide, of, uh, the, the need to hide. And so they did hide. And they hid themselves among the trees. Now, I just want you to notice something. Where do they hide themselves? You know, here you have God's creation, breaking God's law, and then hiding where? Among God's creation. They hid themselves among the very thing that God had created for their blessing. And in order to hide themselves from God, they needed to use God's gifts to hide. And ever since then, people have been using God's creation to hide from God. We hide ourselves from God by making sure we have enough money, so we don't really need to be dependent on him. We hide from God in our entertainment and amusement, so that we won't feel the emptiness of our lives. We hide from God with our good deeds, not wanting to trust him for salvation that comes through faith, but wanting to avoid full surrender to God. We think that, the, that the, the pittance that we give to charity will spare us from the gaze of his holy presence. We hide from God by living vicariously through our children, finding uh, meaning and significance in them and their accomplishments rather than our union with Christ. I mean, how many compromises do we have when we're using God's own creation to hide from God himself? But even though we might try to hide in these ways, that God still sees us. It's because we ultimately cannot hide. He sees everything. He even sees us hiding in our sin. He knows this happened. Psalm 139 reminds us of this. It says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Where shall I go from your spirit or where should I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And so God knows when we sin. 
Our shame then becomes a marker for the times that we really need God's grace. It's a time to show that, that we really need God's grace. Shame is our warning sign in our time of need. God warned them at the day that they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they would surely die. When it happened, it's not that their hearts stopped beating or their lungs stopped pumping, but we see that something did die. They died spiritually. They changed. They sinned. They were guilty. And they felt shame. But God saw them. But God saw them. And that leads us to our second point because we see that when God saw them, he reached out to them. We see God in his grace. Verses 9 through 11 go into our second point, which is sin, guilt, shame, and the, and the inevitability of exposure. God shows his grace in the way that he, he seeks out Adam and Eve. If they are going to do well, if they are going to thrive spiritually, if they are going to have life, they can't stay hidden. They need to be exposed. And in that exposure, we see the dawning of God's grace. Genesis 3.9, we see this. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now remember, before they sinned, they had a mutual relationship face to face. But now because of guilt and shame, God has to call them out. Adam was hiding. And God had to seek Adam out. And ever since that day, mankind has been hiding from God. By nature, we have chosen rebellion. We're in hiding. We don't want to be in the presence of a holy God. That's because sin is spiritual death. Sin is separation from God. Adam was spiritually dead, and he would never, under his own accord, reach out to God. And that's where we see grace. Because we see God here calling Adam. Unless he did that, Adam would have remained in his sin and separation from God from the rest of his life. Nothing could bring Adam back to reconciliation with God um, without God's intervening grace. He was a rebel, separated from God, and there was no way he was going to go back. Until here, we see God speaking to Adam, calling him out. In the same way, for any of us, we would never want to be in a relationship with God if it wasn't for God calling out to us to come out of our own hiding and to come into a relationship with him. God has to reach out to us if we're going to come back to him. I mean, that's what we see in Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. I don't have time to work through it right now. Some passages to consider, but how do we hide? And how does God, you know, this but God that he reaches out and brings us back? Look that up later. Now let's look at the question that God asked back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. He says, where are you? Now, God knew where Adam was, right? He knows everything. So why does God ask this question, right? The problem is, is that while God knows where Adam is, is Adam really doesn't know where Adam is, right? It's like being lost in a GPS. Have you ever been driving somewhere? And you're like, I have absolutely no clue where I am in this world, but at least the little blue line is saying I need to go that way, so I'm just going to go that way. Um, I'm sure you've been there. You know, Adam doesn't know where he is, but God knows where he is. And so God is drawing him him out of hiding. Notice he doesn't drive him out of hiding. He doesn't light the forest on fire and said, you will come out of there. But he draws Adam out of his hiding by his questions. It's a question of great. Now notice how God asks, where are you? He doesn't say, Adam, why are you hiding? 
If we just take a minute to think about it, we realize that God is not focused on the sin here. God is focused on the man. He's focused on the broken covenant relationship. We're going to see, especially, we'll see a little bit today, especially next week, how he begins that work of restoring that covenant relationship. He's not focused on the punishment to, to, and the infraction just to punish. He's focused on the location of the man so the relationship can be reconciled. But to do that, he has to address the sin. He has to address the guilt. He has to deal honestly with the situation and. So he asked that. Genesis 3.10, we see Adam's answer. Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. How does Adam answer the question? Well, the first thing he says is that he says that he was afraid. One of those other brand new experiences for Adam. He had never feared before. There was nothing to be afraid of. Till sin, till guilt comes in. And really this guilt being a, a, a foundation for the shame he feels. The second thing that Adam does is to speak about his nakedness. Notice he was afraid because he was naked. The result of eating the fruit had led him to guilt and then led to fear. This reminds me of Hebrews 4.13 and just the, the exposure that comes when we come face to face before a holy God. Hebrews 4.13 reminds us no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So he says he was afraid, he speaks about his nakedness, and the third thing he does is to hide. He cuts off, and what does he do in hiding? He cuts off God's access to his life, right? And the fear, the nakedness, God's not going to have access. Mentions that he hears the sound of God in the garden, and he hides. And that's what fear does. Fear hides. Fear hides from God. Fear hides from others. Instead of courageously opening up to God, he hides. That's what a bad conscience does. A bad conscience leads to cowardice. It leads to fear. The only way for us to stand in courage is to have that good conscience, the good conscience which God provides. But when there's a fear of judgment, when there's a fear of shame to stand before God's holiness, his perfect holiness, we hide. And the fear of judgment leads us to hiding. But as he hid from God, he also hid himself from the source of grace and life. He was cutting himself off from God as he was hiding. Now, I want to pause here a little bit just to talk about the word and the idea of shame. You know, because we're dealing with Adam in his shame. And so I, I was just as reflecting on it, I wanted to think, you know, there's many reasons why we feel shame. And so I wrote down some, some thoughts as a reflection on this. You know, just to think about what shame is and, and how is it we deal with it. You know, again, we talked earlier about that, you know, sin is that action. You know, guilt is that verdict. And, and shame is that, that feeling that something is deeply wrong with us. We're not safe. You know, guilt is doing something bad, and shame is the feeling that I am bad. You know, it internalizes it. It's the feeling that there's something wrong with me. We can see that with Adam and Eve. They were guilty. They ate the fruit, and the shame came when they saw that they were bad, and they tried to hide. Remember, guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. That's the way they felt before God. Now, shame is that feeling that something is so wrong with us that we don't belong, we can't be loved, we can't be accepted because of that thing. And it's important to think about because shame is so powerful. I mean, it is one of the most powerful shaping influences inside of your life. 
You know, we do not want the wrong parts of our lives to be exposed. We don't want the feeling of being dirty or unacceptable. We don't like it. And it has been shaping you from the very earliest days of your life. Now, I said earlier that, I, that uh, how, how I think that uh, shame is a God-given response to something being wrong. But sometimes the things that make us feel shame are not our, our fault. I mean, the shame that Adam and Eve felt in Genesis 3 was a direct response to their own sin, to their guilt. And we can understand that response. They, they don't need to stand that shame. You know, there's going to be a, a way out of forgiveness in it, but we can understand their responsibility and the, their own feelings in there. But not all shame is like that. I mean, there is a shame that comes not from our own sin, but that does come from this, the sin of others. The other kinds of shame that we may feel because we live in a very sinful and a very evil world. These things affect us, and these are all a direct result of what we see happening in Genesis 3. There's a shame that comes when someone does something wrong to us. Victims of sexual abuse might feel this way. It isn't their fault they were abused, but they feel shame which can have a long-term long negative effect. It's not their fault that it happened, but they still feel the shame. This is a shame that we can experience about past decisions we've made, but that we can't undo. You know, I think about sexual behaviors or even abortion. Maybe you've lost a lot of money in the past that you're ashamed of. There's bankruptcy, there's divorce. We can be shamed also by others for things we have little control over, like the way we look. Feel shame over our weight, our family, the way we dress, our financial situation. We can be shamed for what we believe. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says numerous times, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He says it more than once. And he says it because people told him he was wrong, stupid, a traitor, un-Jewish to believe in the gospel. They tried to shame him into conformity, but he had, a life, he had had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ, and that gave him a bigger identity than their shaming could address. And then there's the shame that comes in our own addictions, our gambling, our porn use, our drinking, the way that we treat our family, our wasteful spending, our cursing. I mean, these are some things that you might be hiding from others, things that you're ashamed about, and so you hide it. You know it's something that you need to do something, it's something you need to do something about, but you refuse, and it's just easier to hide. Here's the thing with shame, whatever its source is, is that your attempt to hide from God or from others, it will not help you with it. I mean, there are places where we need real healing. A refusal to talk about God is actually killing us. I mean, the, ref, the, the result of abuse is that people often hide from God. And they end up hurting themselves in it, and it wasn't their fault. It was a lie, and God is a, God is a healer. The abuse isn't their fault, but the hiding and shame just hurts more. And sometimes we're unwilling to bring it out and to talk to others in it. But the starting point for all of us is to start talking to God about it. We may not feel safe to bring it to others, but we can come to God face-to-face. We're going to talk about these reasons why here as we continue to go through the passage, but you can. I want to tell you that now. You can come to face-to-face with God about it. He meets us in our shame. He calls out to you. He says, where are you? Come out. Let me clothe you with my love. Let me show you how you are accepted. Let me show you how you are loved. Let me show you how you're, you're lovable in Christ. And if you're looking for some first steps to take from yourself, 
you know, I'd suggest we have a number of booklets which are available for you out in the foyer. We put those out there because there's different trials and different areas of shame that we may face or different difficulties that we're facing. We don't know how to address. We have a whole host of things out there which you can just look at and say, you know, hey, how would God, through the scripture, help me with this? We have a Pam Lopes, we have our Pat, who uh, has hope for change biblical counseling, we have our women's connection helpers, we have pastors, elders, if you'd like to take that next step of talking with somebody. You know, but there are some who need to stop hiding from God. And some of us need to stop hiding from God about our past actions or our current habits. You're hiding so you don't have to deal with it. Be honest with God about those things. Get the help you need. Listen to others' good counsel. God is saying to you, where are you? He's, coming to, he's calling to restore. There are those of you who may be tempted uh, to be ashamed about your faith. You need the strength of an identity that comes in Christ. To know of his love and his care, what he's done for you in the cross. See, in all these things, there is one who came to cover our sin and our shame with his righteousness. He came to take away the stain of our sins done against us, and that is Christ. He washes our our sins away. He's our scapegoat who takes our sin far away, and even the sin done against us. He takes away our sin and our unrighteousness. We have a fresh start to be a new creation. We can come in the light knowing that we have acceptance and grace even as we deal with our sin. He covers us with his robes of righteousness. So as we deal with the word and the idea of shame, I mean, it might bring up a lot of feelings. I'm going to hang all the way to the resolution, but we want to see what God has done with it, both in the shame we brought ourselves and the shame that we haven't. So that's a little bit of a, a little excursus, a little step aside to talk about shame because we want to see what God does with it here in the remainder of these verses and, and Adam and Eve's response to it. Verse 11 then speaks again of, of God's gentle confrontation of Adam. I, I find it a gentle confrontation. That's how I understand it. Verse 11, he says, the Lord God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And remember, God already knows the answer to this question. God knows everything, and this question is for Adam. It's drawing him out. It's not for God. Remember, Adam doesn't know where he is. By asking the question, God gives him the chance to see where he is. He's revealing things to Adam, things that Adam hadn't seen for himself. Sometimes we don't think things are that bad until someone tells us that it's a problem. You know, when I was working on this, the thing that I kept thinking of when I had this point was cargo shorts. Cargo shorts, you may think, cargo shorts? Why is he talking about cargo shorts? Well, me and my family, we, well, I have teenage kids. If you have teenage kids, teenage kids, they're always ready to make sure that you know when you're acting your age, when you're out of style, or when something is wrong with the way that I dress. Well, our discussion over the last few years has been over cargo shorts. I mean, here's the thing, I love cargo shorts. You know, I mean, they have four pockets on the front and two in the back. And, you know, if I'm going to work on something, if I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to work on something, I got pockets for that. I got a place for my hands and all that stuff. But I don't wear them just when I work, and I wear them out and about. My kids have recently been telling me, Dad, cargo shorts, they're so out of style. They look so bad. And I think, well, they sell them at Old Navy. If they sell them at Old Navy, it ought to be okay, right? <laughs> but, you know, um, well, they say that they are. And, you know, sometimes we don't know things until people tell us, right? Here we have Adam. Here we have God in this question that he's asking Adam. 
to reveal something to him that he's not been thinking about. God's question is this. He says, Adam, why did you take a different view about your nakedness? See, Adam knew he was naked before he sinned. I mean, this guy could name every animal in the garden. He certainly had a name for nakedness, right? But what changed is his understanding of his nakedness. See, before it was okay, but now there's a problem. What is it? What changed? And in all this conversation, God is urging Adam to confess his sin, to confess that he has a need. He does not jump in to condemn. God wants him to, to own this sin for himself, to take responsibility of it. And this is a loving confrontation, God drawing him out, bringing him into a place of self-awareness, which will ultimately lead him into a greater sense of God's mercy. And that leads us to our third point. The third point is sin, guilt, shame, and the choice of responsibility. The choice of responsibility. So even though they're called out, it doesn't mean that Adam and Eve are done hiding, right? They're not done hiding. We see this in verse 12 and 13 because we see a new way they hide, and they hide it through blame. Verse 12, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. So who does Adam blame here? The woman, right? Right, but I heard the answer over here. There's another answer, too. He is blaming the woman, right? There's no doubt about that, but he's also blaming God, right? He blames a woman for giving him the fruit, and he blames God for giving him the woman. And what a difference this is in Genesis 2.23 when Adam rejoices over the gift of his wife. He rejoices then, but now he blames. Instead of taking responsibility for his own actions, which in the end he does, but not before he blames someone else. Notice the last words of Genesis 3.12. He says, and I ate, right? But it gets all the way to the end before he gets to that point. And Eve does the same thing. Lord God said to the woman, this is verse 13, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She starts by blaming the serpent. Really, she blames her husband for letting her be deceived. And then in the end, um, she, then she blames the devil. The devil made me do it. And in the end, she admits that she is the one who ate the fruit. And in their deflection, you know, we see what happens so many times when we confess our own sin. We blame someone else. Why? I mean, to soften our own responsibility, to make us look better, to make us feel better. But conscience, in the end, it forces us to reveal the truth. I mean, that's what they had to do. In the end, before the gaze of holy God, they needed to, to say what had happened. But we lose something when we blame others. Right? We miss addressing the impact of our actions. So they both act like victims. They act defensively. They also act deviously. Their defensiveness was to blame their actions on someone else. And their deviousness was in the way they said someone else was more responsible for them. And how much do we see that even today? Do we get defensive when something goes wrong, when there's a difficulty in marriage? When things don't go the way we want them to, and instead of coming together, instead of taking responsibility, instead of thankfulness and appreciation, do we blame others? Now, Adam here is ultimately responsible. God gave him the command not to eat of the fruits. And when he blames Eve, he sets a terrible example for her as well. I mean, what is masculinity but the ability to take responsibility for our actions and then to work for the good of others? But it must start in our ability to take responsibility for ourselves. He was supposed to care for the garden, his wife. And before he could do the next step, he needed to be honest with what he had done. See, Adam had taken the thing that God, that, the thing that God did not give him, and he rejected, and he blamed God for the gift that he did give him. I mean, it's so backwards. The thing that God didn't give him 
Um, thing that God didn't give me took, and the thing that he that God did give me rejected. I mean, that ultimately is what sin is, isn't it? Taking the forbidden things and rejecting the good things. I mean, what a terrible break that they must have felt at this point, a 930-year break, at least start of 930 years, which is how long they lived. Adam may have been responsible, but Eve is also guilty. I mean, she let herself be deceived. She knew God's command, and she didn't listen to it. She didn't take God's plain meeting of the tree. She thought she could outthink God. She had her own envy and discontent, and it left her unsatisfied with what God had given her. Instead of being Adam's helper in righteousness, she helped him unto sin. She, too, has failed to take responsibility for her own actions. That's what the, that's what the law of God does to us. It, it's, it's meant to give us as a mirror so we can see our responsibility in life, so we can bring our responsibility to God, so we can, we can own up to it, asking him for his forgiving grace, and then asking him for the, that grace to walk in obedience. We don't take responsibility for someone else's sin. You know, that's something we don't do. If we're in a relationship where someone is sinning against us, that's not our fault. But sadly, we respond to other people's sin so often with our own sin. And God's call for us is to walk in righteousness no matter what. First John 1, 5 through 10, it shows God's willingness to forgive our sins as we confess them to, to him. And I think Adam and Eve, they were drawn into confession because they were drawn into the forgiving grace of God. I believe that God was willing to forgive their sins based on what he did in response to this encounter because he gave them clothes. Jump down to Genesis 3.21. If you have your Bible, follow along with me or it's up on the screen. Genesis 3.21. And we see this wonderful passage from next week. But Genesis 3.21 says, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. You see, God took away the loincloths of their own making. He took away the fig leaves and he gave them his own clothing. And he covered their nakedness. Some things had permanently changed. I mean, there was no going back on the self-awareness, but God covered it. And that's exactly what God did for us in Jesus Christ. We can't go back on our sin. We can't go back on our guilt. We can't erase history in our lives. But we see God's grace, which washes away sin, guilt, and shame. And he does it by his grace. He does it when he declares us righteous in Jesus Christ. He takes away the basis of our shame. When we believe in Jesus, as God covered Adam and Eve here with these garments, God covers us with the pure and holy righteousness of Christ. And that's how we can be forgiven. That's, that's how our shame is taken away. It's in the work of Christ. God calls him the second Adam, partly because he, did, he had so many of the same experiences, but he made so many of the different choices than Adam did. I mean, he did what was right. And just think about it. When Adam and Eve wanted to blame others, what did Jesus do? He took the blame that he didn't deserve. And we know that blame has to go somewhere. It's almost like it's an object to us, right? It's like, oh, it's like I, I'm holding. It's like hot potato. I just want to pass it off to Eve. I want to pass it off to God. I want to pass it off to Satan. You know, there's a feeling that something tangible has to go somewhere, and we don't want to handle it. We want to get rid of it. We want to pass it to someone else. That's where blame comes from because that sense of relief. But we need to accept our guilt. We need to despair over our own unrighteousness. We need to see that something is wrong, that we can't be good enough, that we can't get rid of the blot of our own imperfections by ourselves. 
The solution was never intended to come from ourselves. It won't come from covering ourselves by fig leaves or by blaming others. But as First John 1 tells us, is that Jesus Christ can take it away. As Christians, we learn to acknowledge our sin. So we acknowledge it, but we don't have to own it, at least not permanently. We acknowledge it so that someone can forgive it, so someone can take it away. So we can't cast our sins on someone else, but someone else can take it from us in their forgiving grace. Jesus was sinless, he was blameless, and because he was without guilt or sin, he could take that. But he was also, not only had no sin, no guilt, but he also had no shame. He had no need to hide, and if you follow the life of Jesus, you see him constantly going before his Father in prayer and in worship and in communion, but you even can see him moving in the streets of Gethsemane, coming face to face with God to bear the penalty of sin. Adam and Eve hid because of their sin, but Christ went straight to God in order to take sin, to take on our guilt. In the end, we see Christ crucified naked, having given his own robes of righteousness to cover our shame. God sees us as his children. He sees us as his dearly beloved with the full confidence that we can come before him as his children and know full acceptance. There's nothing keeping us from him if we know Jesus Christ. And so Jesus' words to us are this, is, give it to me. Give your sin to me. You don't need to hide in your shame anymore. I'll take away the guilt. I'll forgive the sins. I'll cleanse you. I'll make all things new. Just come to me by faith. Come to me, and you'll be saved. See, he's taken the responsibility to pay the penalty of our sins. And our responsibility is to be honest with him about them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come to you this morning knowing that while our first parents tried to pass the blame of sin onto others, Jesus Christ didn't pass the blame off, but he took blame. He took our blame. He had no blame to pass off to others. He only had our blame to accept. And God, by his stripes, we are healed. He was sinless. He was guiltless. He had nothing to hide. And so, Father, he is that perfect Savior. He's the one who can clothe us in his perfect righteousness. God, our relief from the guilt, shame, the condemnation of sin, God, comes from Jesus Christ, who came to take away that blame and restore us to God. We're thankful for that gift. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.